Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Grant, and how are you? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm really looking forward to this chat because once again, we're going back to the wonderful world of SPC. We are. We are. We spoke to the CEO, Rob Giles, right back when we first started, when we were just a we were just a young, young little I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> it was a young little podcast. Young back little in bright, starry eyed <laughs> podcast. But today we are joined by Hussein Rafai. He is the chair of SPC, one of Australia's most well-known and loved brands. Hussein was at the helm of Shepparton Partners Collective when it acquired the company from Coca-Cola Amatol in 2019. And I think it is fair to say that he has brought an energy and a determination to the table to see a heritage brand become a global food and beverage business. The company has pretty much been on the trot, maybe even a canter, ever since then. Uh, We have so much to discuss. Welcome, Hussein. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be back. Oh, look, where to start? There is just, I love reporting on SPC because you lot are going at a fast click and <laughs> there's always something interesting happening. The most recent news was your successful uh, funding raise, about around $111 million, I think, um, with two key equity investments coming from that as well. So, tell me a bit about that in terms of what when you get a big investment like that into a company like for like SPC, what does that mean? What does it look like? Oh, look, it, it was really fantastic. It's fantastic in, in, in different ways. One is the money is great because it, it, it will fuel our next phase of growth. But more importantly, however, is that, and it took us a bit longer than, than normally I, w- I, w- I would have hoped so, but we could have very easily gotten on a plane or got on a Zoom call and raised the money from overseas, from China, from the Middle East, from somewhere else, from Singapore. But the beautiful part about it is it was two investors from Australia who understand the food industry, who understand that, who buy into our vision to make this an Australian global company. And that is just close to my heart. And it just gives us a whole lot of warm feeling that, you know, Basically, we're all Australians pulling together to make this thing to make this thing uh, fly and become become global. So is, we're very excited about it. We're seeing a lot of this, aren't we, Hussein, in in sort of business and corporate circles now that it's no longer just a case of sort of show me the money. It really is a case of do you have a similar ethos and philosophy and um, approach to business that we do because then that's going to that relationship is is far more valuable even than the dollar amount i mean that sounds a bit idealistic but that seems to be much more something that we're hearing at least well look it, it is but let me let me there's a lot here to unpack right australia is not the easiest place in the world to raise money especially for turnarounds uh and you know, unfortunately, it's characteristic of our our share market. Even all the money is pretty much concentrated in the high end of the market, right? So it is, it is not an easy place to raise money. Whether it is in equity, 
or whether it is with our lovely banks in debt. Our, uh, you know, our banks are not really the most uh, uh, helpful in terms of things like that. They tend to be a lot more property oriented in terms of their lending than they are a business sort of oriented and regardless of regardless of what the advertisement says on television sort of thing, right? So it is not an easy thing to do. However, clear money, just pure money on its own is good, but it is not as good as you have people like the ones that we were lucky to attract for a simple reason is because we now have two very, very smart individuals sitting on our board. Those guys can add a lot of perspective. And they did add in our first board meeting since they joined They've added a lot of perspective. They've added a lot of angles that, you know, we wouldn't have thought of if they weren't sitting there and asking us the right questions and driving this and questioning that and doing all of this. It was really refreshing. And it's, and, it, and you can get those sort of smart people from all around the world. But when they are looking from the lens of Australia and they understand Australia, they understand our challenges, they understand what is the Golden Valley? They understand what does it mean to, you know, what's our age care? What's our hospital system? How are we selling this? How are we doing that? What happened with the age care royal commission? It's a very different perspective. They give us a different view of it. And it is fantastic. It's really refreshing. And it adds a lot of depth, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of really, really healthy perspective to our, our plans and moving forward. Mm. So, Hussain, the two valuable new members of the board that you're mentioning are Murray Rutherford, who's the Chief Executive and Investment Officer from the Industry Super Fund. Is it AMIST or AMIST? Correct. Yeah. Yes, and and also the managing director of the fam uh, the family office of Peregrine Corporation, Charlie Shahin. Shahin. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. well, that's good. And uh, I think you know the Peregrine Corporation is very well known in South Australia, and um, the largest privately owned company in that state, and the eighth in the country actually. So Charlie is really bringing that sort of depth of of knowledge, isn't he, to, to the table, just as um, just as Murray would be in terms of from an investment port, you know portfolio and and broader picture look that way. Absolutely. But even both of them, they have another angle that will probably not immediately apparent. So, so uh, uh, Mary, in addition to being in there, he is also a, a seafood farmer in his own right. He is also a global investment in his own right. Uh, you know what I mean? So he's bringing in also other perspective. Charlie, on the other hand, He's got a quite a significant farming in the ol in the olive industry, in the almond industry, in other fruit industry. So when they're when they're when they're were on the board, they're giving us perspectives of even a farmer perspective, and they're giving us perspective of a retailer. They're giving us perspective of the meat industry who they represent. Uh, we we are like I can I cannot tell you how glad we are that we got yeah. those two guys. They're just <laughs> frankly I we had. We hit the jackpot. We pulled that, 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 you know, that handle there and we hit the jackpot. <laughs> I can almost imagine in the board, you know, in the boardroom as the meeting was unfolding and you just, you know, you were, you were just looking at the other people around the table. We look at this. <laughs> we, got the, we won the golden ticket. <laughs> exactly. And every time they opened their mouth, you actually got value of it. 
their questions were pointed, their questions were right to the point, the questions made us think about things and re-examine them. Uh, uh, you know, the way that we had the discussion that was from them, it wasn't just really somebody who sort of sent you the check in the mail sort of thing, which was, look, thank you very much, and we'll continue the way we're doing. You know, the dollar is green, doesn't matter where it come from. But this guy is a dollar is green. But on top of that, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of IQ behind it, hell of a lot of intellectual grunt that oh, just added to us. And we were, uh, we couldn't be happier. Yeah, yeah, no, that just, it's... um. That's really exciting. Uh, now, tell me, there's been a number of acquisitions or a new joint ventures and, and developments in really in the last sort of two and a half years. Let's can we touch on touch on those a bit? You you talked just briefly before about sort of aged care and the Royal Commission, and I know that um, SBC launched SBC Care in June last year, which is your dedicated nutritional healthcare company. Talk a bit more about that. Okay. So my marketing guys will probably scream at me tomorrow, but I'm going to take that chance. SPC Care is meant to be the business that develops food for vulnerable outside of mainstream, right? So we're talking about hospitals. If anything we learned from the pandemic is this sort of a, a food and being able to deliver to hospitals is very critical for many reasons. One is the hospitals don't want kitchens. They want to use that space for medical purposes. It is better for hygiene. Uh, a chef in a hospital can offer you two meals. We can offer 60 meals. So that's one aspect. Age care, it's a whole issue. You know, the government is pushing very hard uh, uh, elderly Australians to go back home, right? But mom, who's really busy and she's probably a lawyer or an accountant or she does something else, she buys her shopping from, from Woolies or from Coles or for somebody else. But she buys for little Johnny who's playing soccer and for grandma. Now, the, if grandma eats the same food as little Johnny, she's probably going to have a, 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 you know, a diabetic fit over there. So there's a whole education about the aged care and how you deal with the aging, aging population of Australia. And we know that it is an aging population. There's also other, other subsegments like, and we, you know, we sell into the NDIS space. We're in the final stages of, of launching low GI for diabetics and things along those lines. Cause we are a great believer that eventually food and medicine have to merge, right? Yeah, there is the high-end, very specialized medicine, which you take for, for that. But things like vitamins and things like nutritions and all of that, sooner or later, has to merge. And your your meal has to provide all of what you need to do that. SPC Care was designed to do this. We believe we don't know any other organization around the globe that is doing the same as us. So we're investing a lot of money into the intellectual property so that this is an Australian proud intellectual property that we can take and sell around the world. And we know there's countries like Japan and South Korea that has an Asian population. We know Northern Europe has got an Asian population. We know other places have got an Asian population. So things like that, we can manufacture and export, or we can just use the IP to manufacture under license in other places. But it is a proudly Australian IP. We have a nutritionist, a nutritionist on site, very smart people on site. 
We have, uh, uh, you know, dietitians on site. We have people do that. The, the thing about it is we even designed the packaging to do that. We have something that you might find a bit funny but interesting. We have a glove in the office. When you wear it, your hand acts like you've got arthritis. <gasps> to ma- That's to make genius. Sh- to make so sure you can that- see, yeah. Well, you got to be able to open the package That's to right. eat it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. You give you give grandma that same package mm. that you give little Johnny, and she'll never open it. Mm-mm. That's exactly right, uh, Hussein. You're you're really before when you were talking about that house. You're describing my life. <laughs> I have my elderly mother upstairs. I have a disabled son and three other sons downstairs. And if I am working full time and you know all of the whole gamut. And for me to sort of be providing a nutrition, a nutritious meal for a 79-year-old that she can chew and swallow and get as much nutrients from, as well as the rest of the, you know, circus that lives in this house, like, come on. <laughs> Absolutely. But you, you know what? You're, uh, you're probably even more switched on to the food concept than a lot of other uh, 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 mothers or fathers because they actually, they don't know any better. They go and buy the food that they feed to the kids as well as grandma. And you need to educate them on that a little bit more, right? So that they know, uh, you know, what it is over here that they need to eat. Uh, you know, I don't know about uh, your particular situation, uh, your, your mother, but I mean, as people get old, almost everybody starts getting dysphagia, which is the inability to swallow. And you never know this until you have an aging parent and you're suddenly going, why are you not eating? And they're like, oh, it's just hard to swap. You go, what? What is happening? <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll, even, I'll even take it a little bit further. It's the psychology of it. So, you know, your kids, I can see from background, your kids are grown up. But imagine little Johnny who's eight or nine years old and grandma's sitting on the same table and she's trying to eat a steak which was in a blender and it looks like poo. Uh, and little Johnny sort of says, oh, grandma, why are you eating poo? Psychologically, she stops eating. She avoids eating with everybody. And, you know, we know from the Royal Commission that two out of three aged Australians are either undernutrition or malnutrition. So we're looking at a structured product right now where the steak looks like a steak that little John's eating. But when she eats it, it's actually like paste and the right moisture in there. So we're, you know, we're working on developing things like that as well to make sure that the psychology of them, at the end of the day, they have the choice and they're comfortable with it because the psychology is as important as as the vitamins and the nutrition that go into their system. Yeah, yeah, so so true, and and I love what you've just described in terms of addressing all the different factors of. I mean, all of us, whatever age we're at, there are so many factors at play and that when you're an elderly person, there's all those different things, whether they're arthritic, whether they're, you know, medical conditions, you name it. So, it's really, um, that's really an, an exciting development to, to sort of, to hear about. And I also love the notion of the product can be exported, but also the just the model could be exported. To me, that really embodies what you talk about in terms of turning SPC into this global food and beverage company. That strikes me as a really um, formative example of, of moving in that direction. Um, let's talk a little bit about the whole export uh, situation and strategy. What, it, what do you find? What are you finding in that in that sort of space? 
Look, we, 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 without, without a doubt, we had a bit of a, a setback because of the pandemic, our inability to get on a flight and do all of that sort of thing and all of this. As you, as you know, we have a small production facility outside of Bangkok in Thailand that does our exotic fruit and everything else. We still export from that facility into, into uh, uh, the U.S. and places like that. We are literally in the final stages. As a matter of fact, Rob Giles, our CEO today, as we're speaking, is in Singapore finalizing the appointment of a senior person out of our offices in Singapore to start focusing in on the export, right? But in addition to that, if we we're going to start working outside of our neighborhood, what I mean our neighborhood is Asia Pacific, Japan, Korea, if we're going to start looking at a Middle Eastern market, at a European market, it's very expensive to export what I call air and water. So you have to have facilities over there that uses your IP and export it. So we are in fairly advanced stages. Not, I wouldn't say we're, we're at the end, but we are in the middle of the road in acquiring a, a, an operation in Spain. Oh. Right? And oh, it, Spain, right? you say? <laughs> yes. And we're, fairly, and we're fairly advanced in our discussion, and we find our Spanish partners, and we're delighted with them. And the reason why we picked Spain is because of the geography. One, Spain is the fruit basket and the vegetable basket of Europe. Number two, it is 20 minutes away from North Africa, from Morocco, Algeria, Egypt, Tunisia. That's a 300 million people population. Uh That's, that's what what is it, 12 Australias, right? (laughs) For, For certain type of products. But it is also a platform where we can make those really high IP products that we're talking about and send them into Germany, into France, into the UK, into Northern uh, Europe, places like that. So, so you know, and overall, we've looked at a lot of things and we've done a lot of studies, and we believe that's the last, the last location. So we are already, we've got an agreement in principle and we're working with, we already appointed a, 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 an, a, a, an advisor in Madrid and they're helping us find, and we found already, a, a, a company that we strongly believe will going to work very, very well with them. And they are good, solid people that will also be our Australian, uh, sorry, our European partners. Do Australian products get sent to there and then it, and then it's all packaged and, and done? Or is it that it's a, an actual operation that's there, but it's following the methodology and the IP processes and systems of SPC? Keep talking, Kim. All of the above. All right. (laughs) So they have they have a factory there. We have products that we will manufacture over there and distribute under the SPC brand. We have some of their products that we'll bring in and sell over here to compete with some of the imports that they're being imported by foreign companies. We have some of our product in their off season. We will send it over there in bulk, get it packaged and sold under under our brand brand over there. So it's a whole variety of different synergetic approaches. One of the things that you got to remember is that it's a counter seasonal. So when we have our seasons in fruit, they don't have any fruit on their trees. We can send them our fruit. And when they have their fruit, we don't have our fruit on the trees. Right? So there is also counter seasonality involved, which also flattens out our cash flow because our cash flow is very lumpy. During the season, we buy all our fruit, we sell it the year. 
Well, right now we can buy our fruit and send some of it to Spain, right? So it also flattens out our cash flow in terms of an annual annual look at it. But we're also looking at Australian expansion and Australian significant acquisitions as well. Oh, okay. Can you talk about what areas you're sort of looking at? Uh, all I could talk about is they are very complementary with high level of synergy. We are in the early, early stages with them. We're very excited about the conversation and both parties uh, would like to see this transaction happen and we're working with our advisors and our local partners to make it happen. But I can't, we're under a strict NDA, so I can't get myself in trouble. <laughs> Watch this space, people. Uh, Hussain, I was, what I was going to say earlier was uh, maybe this could be an opportunity because you know how for some bizarre reason, Australians are quite obsessed with buying tomatoes, tin tomatoes from Italy or from Europe when obviously SPC, but there are beautifully, there are beautiful ranges of tin tomatoes that are Australian. Um, maybe we could like, this could be like some sort of, you know, fight back and we can, you can export our tinned tomatoes over there and, and, you know, take them on head to head. Well, let's start with, with, I don't think all the, what we think is, a, is, is Italian tomato is actually an Italian tomato. A lot of it is actually tomato from other port put in a tin and brought to us. And, uh, uh, you know, if you read I the fine print. I don't think that's meant to be allowed, Hussein. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, there's a whole discussion about how we're enforcing the whole import of, of, of products into our country. When we export, we are forced by the, the importing country to adhere to very detailed regulations around their rules and around la their labeling laws and all of that. Unfortunately, that reciprocally is not the same. We allow them to bring it in. Uh, you know, a mother, a mother shopping in, 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 with a trolley and a kid on her arm, she can look up and she'll see a big made in Australia, but she will have to have a real magnifying glass to see that something is made in China or it's imported or whether it's actually packed in Italy or whether it's the, the contents are actually not, not there a hundred percent. And unfortunately, our laws today does not allow for the enforcement mechanisms that you would get, for example, if you're trying to export into China. If you try to do that into China, the Chinese will get you on the shelf so quickly, or they would have somebody sitting over there. We've had people over there re-stickering everything on our product. Over here, you walk down the aisle, and there'll be stuff from all around the world, and you need a magnifying glass to figure out where it's coming from. And, uh, you know, the average mom pulling a trolley hasn't got the time or the inclination to go and look at at the final print with all the good intention that she wants to buy Australian, but you know, a screaming kid in there and a trolley over there, she's not going to have the time to, to do an investigative reporting around mm. what she's buying. <laughs> Is this, a, this must be a huge frustration for, you know, companies like SPC. All we're, all we want is to be treated on a level playing field with, the, with the other countries when we export to them. We're not asking for any advantages. Just treat the Chinese as the Chinese would treat me. Treat the Italians as the Italians would treat me. Treat the European Union as the European Union would treat me. That's all I'm asking for. No more, no less. And we've been on this, on this soapbox for the last two, two and a bit years. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten too far. And we've had calls with the ACCC. We've had calls with every man who's dog. And it's like, uh, 
You 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 find the thief and I will and I will you know book him for you. But find me the evidence while while the thief that stole the stuff from your house came there. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that strikes me as a little backwards. <laughs> Could, couldn't agree more with you, Kim. <laughs> uh, so. Tell me what your thoughts are around this notion, I guess, that's really come to the fore with COVID and all of the sort of supply chain challenges and hiccups. The notion of sovereignty and of the sort of buying Australian and that sort of notion of, of, I don't want to say national pride, but the notion of buying local or Australian, is that that something um, that you see in the, you know, across business or is it? Look, we have had chats with very, very, without mentioning names, very senior ministers in the government, is that at least our government, whether it's state of or national, we believe for the sake of food security, for the sake of national security, should put some weight on buying local. Unfortunately, even organizations, government bodies are as close as the Goldman Valley where our factory is, are buying imports of a product that we make down the road for the sake of literally a couple of cents more and a couple of cents less. And then we talk about that. And then the same on a federal scale, things like armed forces or prisons or uh, all of that. And that's for the sake of pennies and cents around that. And then we go and spend billions of dollars on national security and for me, I know it sounds a bit comical, but sort of what in the middle of a war, we're going to stop it and sort of say, hold on, but you haven't sent me my fruit cups. I just, I, f- I find the mind buckles. And we actually spoke to Rob Giles, our CEO, and myself. We spoke to a very senior ministers. And the response was, yeah, yeah, we'll get to you tomorrow. We'll get to you tomorrow. Tomorrow never came. Right. And we just cannot get our minds around why people in the Golden Valley Health or in the, some, the armed military forces or in the other government bodies would actually go and place no value whatsoever on, on the local, uh, local production. Let me put it differently. I'm not aware of any OECD country that treats import and the local production on the same basis. So we use the World Trade Organization as a sort of a, as an excuse for that, and we act basically holier than thou. So, you know, Europeans, they give advantage to their produce under the EU. The Americans give all sorts of advantage. Uh, Chinese do the same, everybody else. And then our government sort of stands up and says, oh, that's the World Trade Organization. So we're the only ones that are holier than thou. Uh, uh, you know, we're more Catholic than the Pope sort of thing. So uh, what can I say? Yeah. I think there's so much discussion around food security and I think until we pop that into part of the whole national security conversation, there are still going to be very many people, companies, government, you know, government bodies that are going to go the price point is the most important rather than the, you know, the local supply, sadly. Well, I mean, one, of, one of the issues that's a little bit, there's a couple of issues that are, are, are a little bit misleading. One is, I keep hearing it, and I heard it again from very senior government officials today about, you know, we're clean and green, everybody wants to buy from us. That's akin to sort of saying, the hospital is very clean, so go to it. It doesn't matter whether the doctors are good or bad. Or looking at somebody saying, you're such a handsome guy, you don't need any skills, because you look good, right? We're clean and green. California's clean and green. Germany's clean and green. France is clean and green. But you need more. 
you need value add. So that's that's one thing that I've been drilling into our staff every day one. The you know the 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 the, the other issue around it is that you have to be able to present and you know when you talk about food security you know I tried to get an appointment one time with a senior minister who supposed to be involved in this and he says we have no issue with food security if you analyze our our exports of 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 produce or or farm products the bulk of them are actually commodities they're grain they're wool they're everything. none of them is value add so commodity how is commodity driven by price not by value by price and the more the less innovation you have the more it is price driven so if there's more production one year your price goes down and they don't they didn't get the fact that it's really the bits that you got to focus on is the value added part of the food security because we're not going to eat wool and and carcass and and beef carcasses and grains all the time we have to eat other stuff and that's value add and that that's where we're sure it's not it's not using our beautiful land to just generate commodities which we need to do but on top of that not not yes. in in lieu of that's it. not the end of the story yes correct absolutely mm. right look before we have to wrap up i want to know what gets you out of bed in the morning what puts a kicking your step well, i love australia and i love the story about spc i if anything i just want to see our name as a SPC Australia everywhere I travel. And I love to travel. I want to be able to land in London or in San Francisco or in Europe or in Middle East in Dubai or in Japan and just find us there. That, that really, really gets my motor going. I think we have the smarts. I think we have the land. I think we have all that we need to do that. It's just a matter of getting all of that going. And that's what got me all excited about having the Australian investors because they understand mm. that. Well, you're well on the way. <laughs> How so? Um, Hussain, it's just been wonderful to talk to you. Uh, it is always so exciting to see what the company is up to and, and its latest development. Uh, I can't wait to catch up with you again down the track with um, all the you know next instalment. But thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your time, Kim. Well, thanks, Hussain. Thanks, Kim. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you've heard, and how could you not? This has been a great chat. You can, of course, tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from the show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.